and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff for the World Business Academy, filling in for Matt Renner today. I'm here with Ronaldo Brudico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We are recording the show on July 10th, 2018. On today's show, we will check in on key economic indicators and discuss potential effects of the latest economic brinksmanship and Trump's approach to using tariff policy. We will address the viability of cap and trade as a climate solution through the lens of actions taken in Canada, and we'll discuss the shocking relationship between sunscreen and global coral die-offs, as well as what's being done to stop it. I read a headline today saying that this week was hotter than any other week in recorded history. And as temperatures have continued to flare, so have tensions surrounding the economy and the political climate. So, Ronaldo, I hope you've been staying cool. Well, it hasn't been easy, has it? No, it's been pretty, uh, pretty rough. I, I re- Thank goodness I was back east uh, two weeks before the heat wave there. 20 degrees above the historical normal. 20 yes. degrees. I mean, that's 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 worth commenting on. Absolutely. And I, I was listening today about in Arizona, part of the problem is that it's not just the, the daytime temperatures which are so high, it's the overnight temperatures. So the, the low was the highest low they've ever recorded. It was like 94 degrees overnight. Yeah. And you know, people have been going to Arizona for many years as mm-hmm. a place to retire. And uh, they've been living with air conditioning mm-hmm. forever, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen is, I don't think, I don't think Arizona is going to be able to keep the infrastructure building to deal with it. What's going to happen when the air conditioning goes off yeah. and you start having older white people drop dead like flies? It's not <laughs> it's going to look pretty. It's not good. Not pretty. And and uh, I think you're going to see that. You know, we, we're blessed to live in Santa Barbara, and it's 100, was 102, I think it was here yeah. the other day? last Friday. Which was, like, incredibly yeah. hot. I mean, we're on the ocean. We're, it's mm-hmm. like, doesn't make any sense. No. So, so clearly what's happening is climate change despite all the deniers to the contrary notwithstanding. And, you know, climate change deniers to me are in the same identical category as flat earth theorists. Mm-hmm. So there is no theory of flat earth. It's a religious belief. There's no, there's no theory about it because the earth is round. And the same thing is true about climate change. And, and the overwhelming evidence is that we are going from what was, say, two years ago, episodic indications of climate change. So a fire here, a deluge over there, a high temperature here. Now, every single day has a climate component to it, if you look for it. Yeah. Uh, last uh, last summer, we were told we could no longer fly from Santa Barbara to Phoenix if the temperature got up above 116 degrees because our regional jets won't land and take off safely in that temperature. Mm-hmm. Air is too thin. Guess what? They just changed the rule. <laughs> They're going to go up now to 118, 120 degrees. Oh. So you can still keep flying even though it's still not safe. Now, the good news and the bad news is... That'll work for probably another year, if that. Okay. And then it goes to 118 or 20 and stops flying again. So the, the answer is to change the standard to make it appear yeah. safer. It's a deal with the underlying condition. And we have not yet come to grips as a national economy. The United States has not yet come to grips with the damage that climate change does that we cannot repair even at this late date. So where I want to take off today is, is we, as you mentioned in the intro, this is about new paradigms in business. It's about business taking more responsibility for the whole. Up until now, the business community has been remarkably compliant with the Trump administration, even though, and I can say this with all candor, and, and, and I've said it before on the air, I have never met, all the years I've been going to New York on business, and I, as you know, I go quite frequently, and I'm there constantly. I've never met anybody in New York who thinks that Donald Trump's a businessman. Most people in New York who know him or know of his work say, oh, he's a promoter or he's a TV star or he's um, whatever. But no one ever ascribes business skills to Donald Trump because, frankly, he doesn't have any. Um, you know, that's why he went bankrupt six times. I mean, that's a record. I, I don't know of anybody who's gone bankrupt six times. And if, and if he hadn't been able to get what looks to me like money laundered loans out of Deutsche Bank, he still would, he'd be still on his backside. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have recovered. Uh, that those loans were probably guaranteed by Russian oligarchs, and that, that will come out, I think, almost certainly in the next two, three months, because I think you're going to find some of that in the Cohen stuff, Michael Cohen's records. Yeah. For those people who aren't paying attention, Michael Cohen's records, over a million pages, were just released to the federal investigators about a week ago, a little over a week ago. Okay. 
So they just got them, okay. even though they were seized months ago. They never got a chance to look at them. Now they're looking. So okay. one of the reasons why they haven't come after Cohen yet is they're still reading. Right. There's a lot of paper there and a lot of electronic communication. But my guess is you're going to see money laundering is going to pop mm-hmm. up in those mm-hmm. documents, as is a lot of other chicanery. Now, having said that, I'm raising it because the business community has been strangely compliant. Why? Well, when the business community looked at Trump, they said, okay, he'll hype the stock market. We like that. So mm-hmm. if you're a Wall Street guy, you like that. The second thing they said is, well, we can get a massive tax deduction on this guy. Just huge deductions which for companies. We did. Which they did. Mm-hmm. And we can get huge deductions for ourselves as executives of those companies. So we'll pay less personal tax. Mm-hmm. So our companies pay less tax. We pay less tax. And on top of that, we can take all, uh, roughly a trillion dollars of money that was parked overseas that couldn't come back because it had never been taxed. So now we, that at one time what's called repatriation has occurred. So the benefit of repatriation is over. The benefit of a tax deduction is over, and I would argue that if there is a blue wave in November, we will be increasing taxes by rolling back some of the more egregious provision of the the most recent tax act. The tax act contained all sorts of craziness in it that doesn't benefit the economy, but that got plugged in there by lobbyists for their own Mm -hmm. respective interests. And I think there'll be much more rational tax policy if there's a blue wave, because then you'll have you'll have serious committees in Congress trying to perform their statutory duty, which is to be a check and balance on the executive. Um, so so what the, the business community did is said, well, you know, he's going to get these taxes. He got them. He's going to get us this repatriation. Got it. And he's going to, you know, help pump the stock market up because he's going to, you know, make everybody feel good. So that was the theory. And that all was going swimmingly until Trump started his trade wars. Right. And so how is that affecting things? Well, see, what's happening now is that the business community has decided this is crazy. It's gone too far. So finally, the business community started interjecting some leaderships, which is what we keep calling for in the show. Would the business community please lead us to a better place because politics is not capable of it? And so what the business community is now doing, which is really exciting, is they're saying this is an insane policy and it's going to hurt us terribly. Let me give you two examples. The first one would be the idea, and, and, and you remember Harley-Davidson was the company that he was so proud of, and yeah, we're going to create yeah. more jobs. Harley-Davidson has now moved, is in the process of moving tons of jobs offshore because their second biggest market is Europe, and if they make the motorcycle somewhere besides America, then they can ship them into Europe without a tariff. So all the jobs that would have been in Indiana and the Midwest from that, those plants, there'll be at least one, probably two plants overseas, mm-hmm. they're gone. And so he took jobs out with that action. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing's true with Tesla. Uh, Tesla, because of the car tariffs that are going into place, Tesla decided they can't afford to just make them in California anymore. So mm-hmm. now they're building a brand new plant as of yesterday in China. You know, Elon Musk has been talking about it, but he flew over there two days ago and he mm-hmm. didn't let any grass grow on his feet because he knows that you've got to make those cars in China if you want to keep that market. So another bunch of jobs going overseas. Mm-hmm. And every time he does a tit-for-tat He's going to have that problem. Now, I recently saw, surprisingly, the the head bond analyst for Allianz, which is a really reputable, large financial institution, on um, a a TV interview about, let me see, today's Tuesday. I either saw it on Friday or Monday. And he said a very stupid thing. He said, well, at the end of the day, the, the truth is everybody will have to cave to Trump because if it is a trade war, the economy that's the largest will always win, meaning the U.S., and that's wrong. Well, and I'm shocked that Allianz would not know that. Okay, how do you think that's wrong? Because I've heard that same, it's, it's, that same. Yeah, that's that's conventional. That's the line. That's the that's conventional, the conventional wisdom. wisdom line. Um, yeah. Canada's going to hurt more than we do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Europe's going to hurt more than yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, and and, and 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 why that's not true? See, it would be true in part if we were still the reserve currency, which we sort of are, but we're slipping. So we are no longer the currency you have to have if you want to transact in global business. We're rapidly being replaced by a basket of currencies. So um, the euro is one such currency. The yen is one such currency. Chinese renminbi, or the yuan, is one such currency. And the dollar. And so what's happening is people are learning how... Trump is forcing countries to learn how to transact around us. So we created this entire edifice of commerce since World War II. And we built all these institutions to support, basically, U.S. economic hegemony. There's no other way to describe it. And less friendly voices than mine have, have called it that for decades. 
So he had built this system that we, we owned and controlled. Mm -hmm. And what he's doing is he's blowing the system apart, and he's forcing our allies, Europe, Japan, Canada, to go around us. Okay. He's also in, he's incentivizing the Chinese and the Russians to make peace with themselves. And, you know, they've been fighting since, my God, they've been fighting since World War II. So he's now teaching them how to get along with each other, again, without going through us. Uh, you're going to see more changes in the Middle East. I'll come back to one of those in a moment when it comes to his, his policy on Saudi Arabia. So what's happening is because he doesn't know what he is doing, he's creating a trade war, which he can't win. Mm -hmm. Now, why can't he win it? Because actually, no one wins a trade war. The nature of a trade war is like every other war. Mm -hmm. You know, Is there a victor in some ways? Yes, there usually is one that will crawl out of the wreckage a little better than the other. But if you've both been smashed to smithereens, calling yourself a victor doesn't make much sense. And so when we're in the process of losing jobs, mm -hmm. our GDP will continue to go down. Our unemployment rates will continue to go up. But I'm going to make a prediction right now. I made it about a week ago to a friend. I'm going to make it now on the air. So um, we had a, an uptick in unemployment this month, as you know. And we had a decrease in the number of new jobs created, down to 175,000. We were averaging mm, 245,000 a month during the Obama era. So what I'm going to predict is that the unemployment rate will go sideways or up from here on to the foreseeable future. The recession will hit within six to nine months maximum. It'll be a significant one, as I said on the last show, very significant, as big as 2008 conceivably or bigger. And even if not, certainly as bigger as 2001. There is a high probability that the way this plays itself out, the trade war specifically, is that we teach the whole world how to do business without us. And at a time when the dollar is no longer the sole reserve currency, mm -hmm. that means we can no longer create debt as much as we want. Let me give you one example. You're saying a lot of really interesting things in here, and I just wanted to slow you down a, a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, some of the things that you're talking about after World War II and all of these relationships that, are being, that have been built that are now sort of being dismantled by... Mm -hmm policies of the Trump administration is, is enacting. Right. Um, and in, and then with the, the trade war, I mean, the thing that popped into my mind, and I don't know what other people are going to be thinking about, is what happened the last time we really got protectionist in relation to There was a name trade. for that. It was called the Smoot-Hawley Bill. It was in the 30s, mm -hmm. and it led to the Great Recession. Directly. Directly. the direct right. cause of it. Yeah. And as you know from the last show, we talked about the inverted yield curve which at that time was about 0.3 between a 10-year yield and a six-month yield. It's still at 0.3. The, the second digits change a little, but we're still under four-tenths of a percent difference, mm -hmm. which is insane. I mean, it should be two, three points different minimum. So that inverted yield curve, if people haven't heard those shows, go back and listen to it. In 100% of the cases, when it inverts, meaning when it goes to zero, then you have a recession. You can have a recession without it going to zero, and I would say we're on our way to it. But if it goes to zero, if short-term yields equal or exceed long-term yields, you got a recession coming, usually within six months or less. Now, go back to this thing about the tariff war, the trade war. One of the problems of the old style of economics that gives rise to something as foolish as saying we can win a trade war is that it tends to look at economic factors in isolation or in silos. Mm -hmm. So if you look at unemployment as a silo, if you look at GDP as a silo, if you look at trade status as a silo, when you do that, you miss the implications of the macro effect of all these things on each other because mm -hmm. they're not operating in isolation. Mm -hmm. Let me give you an example. If China wanted to end the trade war today, all they've got to do is call up the Treasury and say, we're not coming to the next auction. We aren't going to buy any more of your debt. I got to tell you, the bond market will collapse. America will almost immediately go into a recession. The only reason they don't make that phone call, America is still their biggest customer. They okay. don't want us to die. <laughs> but they have so much power over us because they hold over $1 trillion of our money, they're of invested, our debt. They're invested in, in the American they've been, economy. They've been sopping. sopping and it was like, when we've been buying stuff cheap from them and enjoying a higher mm -hmm. consumer lifestyle because the Chinese worker has been subsidizing our consumer purchases, mm -hmm. What they did with all that extra cash is they bought treasuries. And if they weren't buying the treasuries, the dollar will start to fall. Mm -hmm. Now, right now, the dollar is going up in the last month or so because people are thinking, ooh, war is coming, financial war. What's the strongest economy today in the world? By far, it's the U.S. So let's go to where it's safest, i.e. the U.S., 
and let's not try to find a way to get to safety with our own currency. Now, having said that, the Chinese aren't stupid. They know what their power is. They will do targeted trade embargoes that will hurt us every time we do a silly one that doesn't. Example, we said we're going to put in a, a tariff on steel and aluminum without even stopping to realize that steel and aluminum comes from Canada and Europe, it doesn't come from China, for the most part. It, steel also comes from China, truly. But the idea of hitting China with steel made no sense. What did, the, what did they do to retaliate? They said, oh, where are your voters, Trump? They're in the Midwest? Okay, we're going to hit tariff soybeans, pork, and motorcycles. And you want to keep playing this game, Trump will lose for two reasons. Number one, their economy's control economy and ours is a capital markets economy. Can you explain the difference between what a control, yeah, a control economy control, is? A, a, what's called a command and control economy okay. is one where the government, whoever they are, in this case the Communist Party, says, here's how much of this we're going to build. And then everybody from there on gets their, sorry, so here's what you're going to have to build to make so we can build this. And it goes all the way down, and it's command and control, mm-hmm. meaning we command what you will make, and then we have to figure out how to sell it. But And by the way, they've done this for years now with real estate. So they've commanded an enormous amount of real estate construction, which they're now stuck with, a whole bunch of empty buildings. But they don't care because that, to them, building those buildings was no different than building a pyramid. It was how they sucked up capital and kept people working when in a down market. So it's kind of like a way of investing in their workforce. Um, yeah, it's a way of stabilizing the economy. Okay, stabilizing okay? the economy. In fact, there's a, there's a term in economics called conspicuous consumption. Mm-hmm. And that's what building a pyramid is. It's when you build something that has no practical value, but it keeps a ton of people employed. Okay. Okay? Now, a lot of people thought that's what Roosevelt did after World War II, going into World War II with the Works Progress Administration. But that really wasn't conspicuous consumption. He did do it, but it was after the war was over. He did it by... He actually took all of the wartime material that had a domestic market. So he took the boots, the blankets, the belts, the shirts, the jeans, all the stuff that the soldiers wore, and he filled up a bunch of ships, and he took them off the coast, and he sunk them. And he sunk them so that all those soldiers, all that material they had to fight the war, wouldn't come back and cause the shirt makers not to make new shirts and the pants makers. Okay. Okay. So that's called conspicuous consumption. What the Chinese did is they said, we'll just build more apartment buildings. We'll use them eventually. we got a lot of people. Okay. They just can't afford to buy them right now. And they also created a bubble in their finance markets, and they're now starting to turn that back down. But they achieved their objective, which was to use their command and control economy to get from where they were, which was a country with very, very few wealthy people, and everybody else was dirt poor, and they built a very sizable middle class. I'm going to guess that China today probably has at least 400 500 million middle class mm-hmm. people created over the last 20 years. Right, yeah. So it's huge. Okay. Now, take us. Mm-hmm. We're a markets economy, which means the president can't call up Lloyd Blankfein at, at, at Goldman Sachs and say, okay, I want you guys to buy this much in the stock market next week. Doesn't work that way. He'd be laughed out of the room. Wouldn't even be a phone call. It'd okay. be like, thee, 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 thee. <laughs> so, so how do we, in a capital markets economy, where we can't control all the levers of economics, mm-hmm. compete in a trade war. So that's like saying, I don't have that many weapons, but you're China. You've got every weapon in the book, and you control the whole situation. So you can pick which weapon you want to use and when you want to use it, and you can fire with a rifle instead of what he's doing, which is fire with a shotgun and hitting up. Where does that leave people like China? Well, China will pull in its belt, mm-hmm. and its growth probably will go from where it is today, which is these, and China is very tough statistics to get played with, but... I'm going to say China's been doing a 7.5% easy, true growth Mm -hmm. last year or two. Might take it down to 4%. -hmm. Cut it in half, 3.5%. We've been doing 2.1% and it's dropping. Right. So we're going to be in recession and they're going to still be growing with a trade war. Now, if the whole global economy comes unwound, which is what the trade war could do, then yes, China will have a terribly tough time, but given that their politics is such that he's an autocrat, see, so he'll, he won't lose power, and they'll ride it out. We, on the other hand, will have an extraordinarily disruptive situation on our hand, as will all the Europeans. And uh, we'll see where this ends up. But the clear winner, if there were to be a trade war, would most likely be China, if I had to pick a winner. And I don't think anybody's a winner in a trade war, including China. So that's the, that's the short version of it. Um, but the lead, and I, now to wrap it up with the business people, but business people are finally taking the lead saying, Mr. President, this is crazy. 
and telling the president, you can't do that. Now, he's not listening, which is what they should have figured out in the first place is that he doesn't listen well. It's a little bit late now. So it's sort of like the lady saying, gee, I didn't know if we had sex, I'd get pregnant. True, but you're pregnant. <laughs> right. It's a little bit late for that question. So now what do you do? If you're pregnant, you go, okay, we better get ready. There's a baby coming. What does that baby, in quotes, look like in America? What it looks like is a different kind of economy than we currently have. And what he's trying to do, Trump, is to push it back into the exact opposite type of economy we need to do well in a global economy. Because he's doing protectionism, right. Smoot-Hawley. That's, that's the, the point. Yeah. And we need to do the opposite. We need, we need to go back. And we were the, the primary beneficiary of all the institutions we built after World War II. Right. Nobody did better than we did. Right. With that, when you're talking about that conspicuous consumption that China has been acting out. It's not quite the same, but the infrastructure spending that we did post-World War II with the build-out of all of the highways well, and the roads. Actually, and... that's very different. Let me go to that. Okay. okay. Infrastructure spending is actually the opposite of conspicuous consumption. Okay. Infrastructure spending. So China said, Europe's got a good idea. High-speed rail. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. Within 10 years, they had the largest high-speed rail network in the world mm -hmm. and growing by leaps and bounds. And by the way, if you were to put, if you were really to be honest and you wanted to put a high-speed rail link in California, you go to China, have them do it for you because they're better at it, it. Right. Okay. And if you don't want to do that for political reasons, go to France because they're the second best. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to do it, go to the Germans or the third best. We aren't in this game mm -hmm. and this is the future of transportation. We're not even in the game. Okay. Now, when you talk about infrastructure spending, what you're actually doing is investing mm -hmm. because when you, and remember, Eisenhower justified the interstate highway system in 1960 by claiming we needed to build it to get rockets between different parts of the country. That's not true. I'm sure he knew that wasn't true, but that was a way to get it paid for. So people say, oh, well, we got to move the rockets around, of course, and that means we have to have bridges a certain time. So he created a uniform building standard so you could get a rocket underneath every bridge on an interstate. Did you know that? I had no idea That's, that was the reason that was the for reason that height. That's how he sold it. Okay. Now, so you got this interstate highway system. Well, it radically changed the economy of America. All of a sudden, we could move goods really cheaply, and you could move them long distances or short distances. Mm -hmm. So trucking as an industry took off. We, if we'd have kept rail going, which we started, as you recall, in the 1850s and surrendered to the rest of the world somewhere around 1885 to 1900, when we got that all going, what we should have done is said, oh, if we had an intermodal integrated transportation system, we would be able to move goods even cheaper still, which mm -hmm. creates productivity. Productivity creates rising lifestyle. Okay, so where are we today? Where we are today is we need to be globalist because that's the way the world works. It's all interrelated. There's, it's imp what Trump doesn't understand, and by the way, the automobile manufacturers are really upset with Trump right now. Yeah. So GM, Ford, Chrysler, they're going crazy because there's no such thing as being able to make a car in America because a car is made up of thousands of parts that come from all over the world. Mm -hmm. So the supply chain is global. Um, the, the, the biggest BMW plant in the world is in South Carolina, not Germany. One of the biggest Volkswagen plants in the world is in Tennessee, mm -hmm. not, not in Stuttgart. So what Trump's doing, because he doesn't understand what he's doing, is he's, he's not even sawing apart the, the supply chain. He's blowing apart links here and there. Mm -hmm. And so the automobile companies are going, wait a minute, how do we survive in this? This is like, okay, we better move our plants to some other place where they're not crazy. So that's what's happening with Tesla. But it's also going to happen with all the car manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Now, and whose market do they want? If, if our economy has been going down, which it has been for a number of years, not that it's gone down in total numbers, although it's gone, well, pretty much sideways for the last year or two, you, you don't really want to go after the American economy because it isn't booming. You go after the one that's been growing at 7 to 9% compounded, which is only two countries in the world. One is India, one is China. So that's where you go. Hence uh, Tesla moving a, hence, a plant into China. Tesla moving a plant to China. Uh, Harley-Davidson moving one to Indonesia. I mean, when you take the combined reality of the gross mismanagement of the economy, which now the business community understands, so they're now starting to squawk. The trouble is, the people they used to squawk to used to be called Republicans. But the Republicans are now a kind of a dying breed. They, they don't exist much anymore. There are very few Republicans of the type who would care about this issue. The majority of the Republican Party, so 35% of all the voters, belong to the Trump cult. They're not traditional Republicans. 
So when Trump says, we don't like, we're going to have tariffs, they go, yay team. And if he says, we're not going to have tariffs, they go, yay team. And no matter what he says, it's yay team because he's yeah. the cult leader. Yeah, I saw a story that people who work for Harley Davidson, even though those jobs yes. are going away, many of them were Trump supporters and they are still Trump supporters despite the tariffs yes. coming in. Yes, absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. Uh, there was a report on, in, on CBS about the lobster fisherman in Maine. And this guy with a big shirt on, lobster fisherman, and he's, he's really concerned the tariff is going to cut their business dramatically because they, this China was becoming a big customer of mm -hmm. lobster, mm -hmm. which is great because it's an air freight product, so it keeps your jets full. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to reproduce. The Chinese could go other countries to get it, but mm -hmm. we're good at producing it cheaply. The guy's saying, well, you know, I hope he's got some master strategy. And the reporter said, well, do you think he does? And he goes, doesn't look like it. But he's still for Trump. Mm -hmm. Because if you belong to a cult, the nature of a cult is its unquestioned loyalty to the leader. Mm -hmm. And there was a name for that in an earlier part of our history. And the leader was called Der Führer, the leader in German, Der Führer. <laughs> okay. And the cult was called the Third Reich. Okay, so that's where we're headed. We're headed towards the disestablishment of our institutions of democracy. So you wouldn't be coming to America looking for the market. You'd be coming to China, India, and other places. Now, when you put that, that, that crisis that's going on in the U.S. economy that's accelerating, and the business community now knows it, and now they're pushing back, but the people they would have pushed back to normally, the Chamber of Commerce being the, the arm of the business community, they would have pushed back against Republicans. Mm -hmm. But the Republicans don't control the Republican Party anymore. Trump controls the Republican Party. So you've got Republicans like George Will, who's probably one of the most articulate of them. You've got Crystal. You've got, um, there's dozens of them that sometimes call themselves never Trumpers, but now they call themselves Republicans because the distinction between a traditional Republican who is for free enterprise, for states' mm -hmm. rights, for you know, trade barriers, all those normal style Republicans, and I'm not even talking about what used to be spoken of in the, in the, in the Reagan years with some disdain, a Rockefeller Republican, which was the which today you'd call a blue Democrat, blue dog Democrat. Yeah. Uh, but not even talking about Rockefeller. I'm talking about traditional Reagan-type Republicans mm -hmm. have no place in the party. George Bush has which no place in the party. Really, their, their feet are mostly in the business community and in the global trade yeah. community. And That's right. They're the traditional. They're the traditional re Republicans, fiscal yeah. conservative yeah. Republicans. Yeah, and they, you know, whether you agree with them or not, at least they had a consistent yeah. ideology. And that's where you would have gone as a business leader to get this craziness stopped. But you can't go there because the craziness is being run by the, the, the inmates are running the asylum. Let's take a couple more things in tandem. So climate change is creating this enormous amount of pressure on all the nation states in the developed countries. Well, in, in the developed as well, but in mm. developed countries. Mm -hmm. okay, I mean, I can talk about the destabilization of entire countries from climate change because of the fact that their poor institutions cannot possibly keep up with the stress. Mm -hmm. So it erupts into war, it erupts into, we have, we've got warlords running all over Northern Africa. We got Certainly. I mean, which is leading to the, the refugee crisis yeah. in Europe and yeah. also in the United States. Yeah, and I think I reported these... on the last show. We're now yeah. up to 64 and a half million refugees. We haven't seen anything like that since World War II, and that's a bigger number than World War II had. Right. So you're, and that number's going to increase. So what does it do? It puts pressure on all the Developers. democracies. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, they start to react, and you get something stupid like Brexit which was a reaction to immigration. Right. Another another headline from today in relation to Theresa May's cabinet. Okay, she's got four or five members now. I, now. Think, I think I've seen four with Boris Johnson and Dave Davies. And, yeah, I yeah. think I think she, I heard that she might be up to five cabinet oh, ministers. Okay. Or at least cabinet and sub-cabinet ministers because she's including they're including the Brexit ministers. But anyway, okay. the point is, Brexit's done by any definition. It, it makes no sense at all. It was triggered by immigration. By the right. flow of people across it is. European mm -hmm. borders. Um, the, mm -hmm. Well, the European Union is based on the idea of open borders. That's the whole idea. You can, I, I'll be getting on a train in Amsterdam, and I'll be getting off in Paris. Mm -hmm. And I'll be getting another train in Paris, and then a day later I'll be getting off in Milan, and I'll be mm -hmm. going from Milan to Rome right. or wherever. And, and I can go from Netherlands to France to Italy without having to show a passport, without having to change currencies. Right. It's the movement of people and trades, trade yeah. goods. Although, remember, not everybody was in the monetary union. Okay. So Europe is like a layer cake. There's the European common market, mm -hmm. and then a portion of those countries became the European monetary union. Britain was in the common market, but not in the monetary union, so they never gave up the British pound. The pound, right. But 
France, Italy, Germany, most of the countries did, mm-hmm. went to the, for the European Euro. Well, why is this relevant to an American listener? Because the pressures on us internationally from climate change, what it will do to destabilize our allies at the same time that the U.S. is destabilizing the international monetary system and destabilizing the alliance, means that you're getting a double whammy. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, for those of you too young to remember pressure cookers, a pressure cooker was a device you put on the stove and you literally put a little valve on it and you put the heat up and the lid was so tight that the steam would build up like pressure in it. In fact, if you didn't take the lid off properly, it would burn. explode. Yeah, yeah, potentially explosive. And in fact, I mean, they hold pressure so well that if you recall, the Boston bomber yeah, I, I just, Which that popped into my mind. Yeah, yeah that was because part of that. Because that's a great that way to bomb. contain yeah. an explosion until you want to get it to a certain right. and then it blows up. Anyway, my point is. So we're, are economies in a pressure cooking situation? The economy's under pressure cooker. Trump is making it worse with the tariffs, mm-hmm. trade war. And he's making it worse because he's not helping people like the British get through their crisis, Brexit, which is insane by any mm-hmm. definition. And I don't know where that's going to end up. No one does. And doesn't address the fact that he's trying to push China, Mexico and Canada away. Right. You know, so yeah. we had a positive trade surplus with Canada. We sold them more than they sold us, mm-hmm. and he was complaining. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he didn't know that services were part of your exports. So we, we export services which are much more yielding, high-yielding, than buses and trucks. To pick on Canada, where we had a trade surplus, and turn it into a trade deficit, is crazy. To pick on Mexico, equally crazy, and now Mexico has responded by electing a guy, Obrador, who I think the is labor gonna, candidate. He's going to stand yeah. up against, just like I think. My guess is that May will not be prime minister when we do this show a month from now. Clearly, the, the revolution, the PRI, uh-huh. is gone in Mexico now again. Yes. Obrador's party didn't exist until four years ago. He's now the president of Mexico. Didn't exist. Macron in Paris built a party a new in party? six years, yeah. mm-hmm. and now he's running Paris. Angela Merkel's doing her darndest to hang together a coalition, but she's having a lot of trouble doing mm-hmm. it. When you look at these tensions, this is when they, they needed us the most to maintain world order in the financial markets and in the, in the global commerce. And this is what we're not only blowing up, we're blowing up their ability to rely on the institutions we built. So it's going to be a double, triple whammy for us. Yeah, and you see the NATO meeting, which is happening this week, that's the same group of leaders in the, as the G7 from... Yeah, I don't years. think it's a G7. I think it's G plus one. Okay. Yeah. We're not... Um, yeah. We're not... We're not, I think, I think, I think, we're not actually party to this yeah. anymore. We're just somebody, irritant to keeping things going. Well, it's in the wrong more direction. than an irritant. We're, we're, the, we're like the crazy king. We're like mad George III. Mm, you know, it's like, we're, like the king is mad. And, um, you know, it's true. I mean, it's like we got a mad king. And, 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 and when you look at this, for example, NAFTA is a treaty. We're not free to say we don't like it. Right. It's a treaty. It's a treaty obligation of the United States of America. And so where do you go with that? It's like you're, you're going if, to, if, if you say you're going to change the executive orders of a prior president, okay, I might not like it, but that's legal. Right. It's not legal to cancel treaties unless you're the United States mm-hmm. Senate. So we are in a situation now where our economy is starting to turn down. I've just got through predicting a little while ago on the show. It's going to continue to trend down. You're going to see inflation going up. You're going to see the economy slowing down mm-hmm. further. As that happens, business will get more and more aggressive at trying to control the outcome, but they can't. So I would not be surprised if business lines up behind the Democrats in November, mm-hmm. which would be unusual, but they'll do it for self-preservation. They'll mm-hmm. do it because they want some check and balance on what is a rogue administration. Mm-hmm. Now, what does that mean for us in terms of what's happening in our, in our hemisphere. I know we were thinking about talking about cap and trade this show because uh, Doug Ford up in Canada, the new minister of yeah, Ontario. Yeah, they're canceling their cap and trade program. Yeah, not for the existing ones, but for the future. And, and mm-hmm. I am not a fan of cap and trade under any circumstances. And I think the California cap and trade experience is far from ideal. I think the European experience of the cap and trade is the best, and it's far from ideal. To me, a carbon tax is the only way to efficiently and effectively reduce CO2 mm-hmm. and do it in a way that gives the economy the best chance to, to adjust in a structurally sound way. Now, 
Where do you look at people like Doug Ford, whose crazy brother, the cocaine addict, was the mayor of Toronto? Doug Ford is a the Donald Trump of Canada. He, that's what he does. He's doing the same exact thing, mm-hmm. make Canada great again. And he's no better at economic policy than Trump is. Well, I shouldn't say that. He may be better because it's hard not to be better than the lowest guy in the class. <laughs> but my point is what we're doing is creating pressure on the prime minister of Canada who wants to be our friend, Justin Trudeau, because Ontario is the largest province. He's got to keep these guys happy now. Mm-hmm. And these guys are reacting like, oh, my God, we're going to get even with the Americans. And Trudeau is saying, let's not get even. Let's be smart. Now, Trudeau's country just legalized marijuana. Mm-hmm. Very smart. That's going to reduce his penal budget dramatically. It's going to be less money spent on cops and enforcement. More taxes are going to get generated. More tourism, like mm-hmm. incredible tourism. Look at the tourism that's hit Colorado, for example. Absolutely. Okay. So he's going to win on that one. He's going to lose on other stuff because we are this big behemoth. I mean, we have, what, 350, 360 million people. He's got maybe 40 million in mm-hmm. the entire country. So he's one-tenth of our size. And, and they have historically really depended on us. But my guess is there'll be a whole lot more Americans going to Canada for fun than Canadians coming to America, mm-hmm. which means his tourism balance, which used to be in our favor, now it's going to go in his favor. So it's another example of how when you start a trade war, you don't look at the implications. When people look at a trade war, do they look at the effect on tourism? Usually not. They should. They ought to. And I mean, I think our not just our trade policies are affecting our tourism, but also our immigration policies are affecting our tourism significantly. Absolutely. In fact, my guess is they're affecting hotel occupancy, airlines, they're affecting car rentals, mm-hmm. they're affecting the receipts at Disneyland, both in Florida and in California. I mean, it's that whole it's Universal Studios, yeah. all that stuff is getting caught up in it because we are so undesirable place to come. And we used to be, yeah. you know, the Citadel on the Hill. And speaking of China, I think one of the one of the retaliatory measures they're taking is telling their Chinese citizens not to come to the U.S. And Chinese tourism has been a huge boon for, for the United States uh, tourism economy. Really? I didn't know that, but I'm yeah. happy to hear it. So, like, and part of that is by letting them know how dangerous and scary it is to come here because of our gun laws. Right. And and things like that. It's a targeted yeah, and, an approach. Uh, yeah, and, 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 you know, when you look around at the world leaders, at the, the countries with the mm-hmm. most influence, you would put the U.S. up there. You'd put China. You would put Japan. You'd put Germany and France and maybe Italy, maybe not Italy. I still put the UK up there, but not for much longer. When you look at those countries, two of them stand out as racist and crazy. One's China and the other's us. Yeah. Right? So look at who, I mean, by the way, I, I, we haven't even touched on it yet, but I have a feeling that we could be on the brink of war with, South, with North Korea. I wouldn't put it past John Bolton to have figured out that he would get Trump to go to this summit, make all kinds of silly statements, then when they didn't come true, which they haven't come true, mm-hmm. in fact, they've increased their nuclear uh, Right, I mean, inventory. that, yeah. Then what will happen is Trump will go, oh, well, you lied to me. Okay, I was willing to trust you. Now I'm going to retaliate. Boom. Here come the rockets. And I don't think it's going to be <laughs> nuclear, but I think it could easily be conventional. Okay. And if it does, I would think you could easily see 200,000 dead people in South Korea and, and along the border of North Korea. So I, I just think it's we're in a very crazy time, and we have to be aware that at the same exact time, the strains on the global financial system have never been greater. So you got the strain of the global financial system, you got the strain of climate change, you got the strain of a crazy American administration that's basically detonating the entire post-World War II social order. Okay. That's a lot, that's a lot that's, to say in one sentence. That's, that's <laughs> a lot. I, I feel really afraid right now, and I'm not sure what to do about it. Well, I can tell you what to do about it. First of all, it doesn't do any good to put your head in the sand like an ostrich. You're still going to get your tail feathers shut off. Right. What it does do is subscribe for free to the Optimist Daily. Okay. Because with all this negativity, you've got to keep balanced. You've got to have some optimism to go with the cynicism and the pain. So to me, what I'm describing is the world we're getting by default because we aren't choosing to create the world we want. Mm-hmm. The Optimist Daily is a daily feed of five stories that you can read in under two minutes that gives you an idea of what the world could look like if we built it the way we want it. The solutions that are out there. The solutions that the are there. people who are taking that That's approach. right. right. So, so I always like to do both. I like mm-hmm. to be real. I like to be practical. You know, there's that old Arab saying, tether your camel 
No, praise Allah and tether your camel. <laughs> right? So praise God, but keep your camel. You don't want to have God chase your camel down. Sure. So yeah. we're going to tether our camel with these comments on the economy, but to, but to give us the vision of what can be, you read the Optimist Daily. And then it's the two of them working together. And, and what I'm hoping people see is, wait a minute, I like the picture of the optimist better than I like the picture I'm getting. Mm -hmm. I don't want this world that I'm defaulting into. I want this world over here that I really like. And so Optimist Daily helps you construct in your mind the world you want. And we're hoping enough of us who think that way will force change on a respective mm -hmm. political system mm -hmm. and economic system. And, and to get there, that's www.optimistdaily.com. Thank you. Okay, www.optimistdaily.com. Thank mm -hmm. you. Okay, I also want to touch on something else that uh, before we go any further, and that is inflation. Now okay. get off of the economy. We're clearly we're clearly seeing an increase in inflation. In those countries that mismanage their economy for any length of time, it happens faster than it does to us because we have been the reserve currency. So we've been able to print money to get out of the problem. Just as, as a naive listener, yeah. um, you say we're clearly headed towards inflation. I'm curious if you could explain that a little bit. Like, why, why are you making that statement? Oh, sure. Because we have been printing money to cover the sins uh, of our politicians. So mm -hmm. it was reported, widely reported, and I thought the press did a terrible job of reporting this because they should have been much more thoughtful, that the tax bill, which really only benefited a you know, the largest companies and less than 10% of the population and cost everybody else. Right. The press widely reported that $1.5 trillion would be the cost of that tax bill. We on this show said at that time, and I'm absolutely certain we were right, if we're lucky, it's $2.5 trillion. Mm -hmm. So where does that come from, that $1.5 trillion loss or the $2.5 trillion loss? Particularly if we can't make it up on trading. <laughs> right. We can't grow our economy, right? Right. The answer is you print money. Okay. Now, when you print the money, if you're the reserve currency, you get away with it for a while because we are what's called a fiat currency. Fiat means I believe. Mm -hmm. So you believe you'll get paid back a dollar's worth of value if you buy a dollar. At some point, that confidence breaks. That's the difference between reserve currency and non-reserve currency. I'll give you an example. Erdogan in Turkey, who's been mismanaging his economy for the last seven or eight years, for political reasons, because he wants to return Turkey mm -hmm. from the secular state. It's been mm -hmm. since Ataturk created the modern Turkish state, made it a member of NATO, key player in Europe. Uh, he's turning it into a, a Muslim, fundamentalist Muslim state. That's what he's been doing. And in order to do that, he's been monkeying with the economy to achieve that political objective. Mm -hmm. As recently as, either, I think it was yesterday, he got the power in his most recent, what passed for an election, but was really a coronation because... He'd been yeah. stealing power all along. Um, Erdogan now has taken over the control of who gets to appoint the head of the Bank of Turkey. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because Turkey is suffering from about a 15.4% inflation rate. Now, they aren't a reserve currency. And so when they spend more than they got and they mismanage their economy, their inflation starts to go up. The same thing happens to other developing countries. Mm -hmm. We saw it in Brazil for decades. Right. Okay. And you see it in any country where they go completely out of whack like that. Well... In the U.S., because we're the reserve currency, because we can print money, we can hold out longer, but eventually there is gravity and the rock does fall. Mm -hmm. So what gravity is doing now, if you look at the key indicators, this is why the, the, the yield curve is still less than four-tenths of a point apart. Mm -hmm. It's because people don't believe that we're going to be in better shape in 10 years. Well, there's only two reasons you won't be in better shape. Either you get inflation is going to be worse, and that's going to eat up all your productivity. Which is that... Pegged to the value of the dollar? No, the yield curve is the, is the no, interest. No. no, but the inflation, does it mean that the dollar is worth less? Well, it would be if it wasn't the reserve currency. Okay. So what's been happening is the dollar is strengthening against other currencies because people say, okay, the Americans have gone crazy. They're going to start this trade war. All kinds of people are going to get bloodied. Who's the biggest economy in the world? You've heard that that's the U.S. Okay, they'll win the trade war. No, they won't win the trade war. But if you got no other place to go, what do you do? And, and so people have basically retreated to mm -hmm. buying dollars. And the way they buy dollars is in the, in the short-term treasury market. So the short-term treasury market, yields aren't going up that high. In the long-term treasury market, nobody trusts us. Right. So at the end of the day, we're going to have inflation. And you're starting to see it now. So what will happen is you'll see continued upward pressure on wages because of the rising minimum wage. Uh, you'll see 
as the economy resorts itself, the employment unemployment rate is so low that workers have a little mm -hmm. bit more bargaining room, although that has not translated into higher average wages yet and may not. Mm -hmm. You'll see the the cost of goods going up. So there's two kinds of inflation in classic economics. One's called wage price or wage push. Mm -hmm. And then there is price push or demand push. And in a demand push, it means that the demand for goods goes up or stays the same, and the price of those goods goes up faster. Okay. So that's inflation, right? So if you have a trade war with China, and you now have to spend $20 at Walmart instead of 15 that's $5 of inflation to you. Okay. Right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at, because you're getting the same stuff mm -hmm. for $5 more, mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter who paid the tariff or why, because it ultimately comes out of your pocket. That's the thing about tariffs, people understand. <laughs> when you put in a tariff, your country pays it. It's, well, it hurts the consumer in the end. Yeah, and we're, who's the biggest consumer nation in the world? Like the United States. The US. So we're the like ones a, that buy all the goods. Yeah, it's totally crazy. So for that reason, you're going to continue to see inflation. Now, last October on this show, I said, I predict that the economy is going to go sideways at best or down. So if you measure the economy by looking at the Dow Jones, if you measure the economy by looking at GDP, well, let's do Dow Jones or the S&P, the economy has gone completely sideways since last October. Mm -hmm. What I told people to do is to start putting money in gold. Now, gold has gone pretty much sideways too, but as I said at the time, at some point, inflation will kick in. And the nice thing about the gold is, you know the worse things get, the better the gold is, the more money it's worth. So I said, you can hedge your bet. Put At that point, I said 10%, ultimately it went up to 15%. Right now, I'd say as high as 25% would be smart in gold. And I'm talking about GLD, the ETF for gold. Um, because... The worse it gets, the better gold does, and the worse the S&P and the Dow does. So we were correct when we predicted it would go sideways. Uh, everybody like me who bought gold has been sleeping at night really well. You know, we don't lose any sleep worrying about a 25 to 35% drop. By the way, if you want to see someone really smart who's talking about it, um, Paul Tudor Jones, when he was interviewed by the chairman of Goldman Sachs, Lloyd Blankfein, basically, and then he and I, though, were friends, we didn't talk about it, he basically predicted pretty much what I'm predicting, which is a recession within six to nine months, mm -hmm. and a bad one at that. And he linked it to the capital markets problem in the international monetary system, which we did originally on the show. So I think that uh, he's right. And by the way, the head of Goldman Sachs didn't disagree with him. I think that was fascinating all by itself. It's a great interview if you want to see it. And if you don't have a way to get that interview, let us know and with an email. And we'll send you sure. Reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org. Yeah. Okay. You know, I wanted to remind our, our listeners that we did a couple of shows on cryptocurrencies here not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And I invited people to send in more questions because I got questions after the first one, but did I you... didn't get questions after the second one. No questions. Okay. So I'm either the most brilliant instructor on something as arcane and bizarre as cryptocurrencies, and no, it was so well explained that no one has a question, which I doubt, or uh, it was too complicated and they didn't know what the question should be. But I just want to invite people again. If you are interested in cryptocurrencies, please write us a note at info@worldbusiness.org, and we'll be happy to answer it on air. One of the things that you'll find when you start looking at the inherent instability currently of the international monetary system is that cryptocurrencies are acting in concert to further unwind mm -hmm. the power of fiat currencies, which means to further weaken the international mm -hmm. monetary system. Okay. And I think that's a really interesting concept there. And I don't know if it go, if it ties in at all with what you were talking about earlier with in terms of the basket of currencies and trade that goes along with yeah. how you can... Let me give you an example. Yeah. The largest monetary market in the world is the daily flow of cash. So on any given day, $126 trillion changes hands. It's a staggering amount, particularly when you assume that that's twice the total GDP of the planet. Wow. So yeah. the total GDP of the planet is 60-some trillion, and you do 126 trillion changes hands. Mm -hmm. So, and this is all computer to computer. The Western Union Corporation had a great business until recently where if you wanted to send a check to me or money to me, let's say, Christy, you're in Santa Barbara, California, and I'm in uh, Mumbai in India. Okay. So you tell your bank by virtue of an instrument that you write, either a letter of credit or some other instrument or a check, mm -hmm. And you say, pay Ronaldo $10. Mm -hmm. 
So what happens with that request is it goes from your local bank, which let's say is American Bank of American Riviera, which is right here in town. That goes to a money center bank like Chase in New York. Mm -hmm. Chase sends it to the money bank in money center bank in India called Bank of India. And the Bank of India sends it to Mumbai, who then gives it to me. In dollars or in, in rupees? In rupees in that case. Okay. It, would, it would come through in rupees. could come through in dollars, right. too, mm -hmm. if you've got your choice. Mm -hmm. But the point is that takes four days mm -hmm. and three levels of commission. Right. There's a little bit taken out each time. Each time. And Ripple could move that same transaction in 12 seconds for a fraction of the cost. So Ripple, which is a cryptocurrency, is mm -hmm. destroying the business of Wells of uh, Western Union for mm -hmm. monetary flow payments transfers. Okay. okay. Now, why is that important? Well, obviously, if you're a shareholder in Western Union, it's really important. But apart from that, and, you know, it's interesting, this legacy company that started out with Telegraph ended up in the business of moving money around. And the, um, the issue is when you can move money like that quicker and so much less expensively than going through the money center bank called Chase and the money center bank called Bank of India, and you can do it in seconds rather than in days, it means you've created a substitute for the way the monetary system used to work. Mm -hmm. Okay, and everything I've said about fiat currency, so that's dollars printed in the US, it's euros printed in Europe, pounds printed in London, all of those instruments mm -hmm. together are what we call the international monetary system, and they're, it, they're governed by a whole series of post-World War II institutions. Those are all coming under the pressure we talked about earlier in the mm -hmm. show. And now, the customer's going away. So that Western Union transaction ain't going to go through Western Union anymore. It's going to go through a cryptocurrency. In fact, you don't even really need a bank. Well, that's the banks as you have known them are in the process of changing dramatically. You, you can keep your money yeah. in your Ripple account or in your Venmo yes. account and send it through there. Yes. And, and what Ripple's doing, which is quite intelligent, is they're getting places around the world where their currency can be converted. So right now, if I've got Ripple, I've got to have a way to get it into Indian rupees or European euros. That's difficult to do, but not impossible right now. When that gets to be easy, goodbye global banking system mm -hmm. for the transfer of payments. Mm -hmm. And I just said it's $126 trillion a year. A day. A day. A day. A day. A day. Twice yeah. the global GDP. In one day. In one day. One day. So that's a big change. And that puts enormous strains because all those banks were making money from this stuff. Now, I want to do a cute story here about something that we actually saw coming years ago here at the Academy, actually in my for-profit company. I was, I've been looking at coral reef die-off for decades. And as some of you know, Christy, I haven't placed in Hawaii for the last 30-plus years. And uh, I've always loved the ocean. So I've been watching coral die-off happen right up close. It's like I, right outside my door in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the bleaching of the coral and the die-off. And as I've watched it happen, that's, of course, very, very traumatic and it's sad because the ocean, oceans are dying and those are the lungs of the planet. But apart from that comment, it got me going when I realized how much crap we put in the oceans. And so the one everybody's talking about today is plastic. That's a good one to talk about. We did several shows maybe five years ago on mm -hmm. the Pacific Gyre and why that's a problem and how to deal with it. I still think that if I had the time, I would get more involved in that. And, well, and, and I mean, Starbucks is now banning plastic straws. Yeah, uh, that's right. Different states have banned plastic right. straws. It's sing and it's other other plastic, uh, plastic single bags, use, single, single use plastics. Yeah, yeah. Is, at least that's starting to. Yeah, and I think that's thank God because that's a start. But the problem is that we we need to have a methodology which it looks like one has been invented in the lab, and hopefully it'll be commercially uh, producible where you can take the plastic out of the ocean and turn it back into either a liquid or a resin mm -hmm. and make new plastic with it. Is that a story in the Optimist Daily recently? I don't know, was it? I think there was a link, uh, there was a story we About a woman scientist? Out. Yeah. Who, yeah, yeah. Could, yeah, could have been, I saw uh, it there, yeah. There's a new technology. Yes, yeah, yeah, so. it's a new technology in the lab, mm -hmm. and, it, and it basically breaks it down using, I believe it's a biological process. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, my point is, I saw that issue, and I thought, you know, I'm a scuba diver, and in order to get your scuba or your wetsuit on, that's the hardest part of scuba diving, getting your wetsuit on. And by the same thing's true with you know surfers with the, with the tops they use mm -hmm. wetsuit. And um, the way to get it on, the best way to get it on was to use a thing called KY lubricant, sterile lubricant, because it's it was the least damaging to neoprene uh, neoprene. 
And so I invented something at the request of, there's a group of 32,000 scuba divers, volunteers around the world, who belong to an organization called Reef Check. Mm -hmm. And Reef Check knew that we had the ability to make a lubricant that would put your, so you could put your wetsuit on, mm -hmm. and it was completely safe for the ocean. And so we called that lubricant Ocean Safe. It's on the market there. You can get it at Amazon, by the way. And the idea was, you know, I don't want to go swim in the ocean because I love to scuba dive and be killing the coral when I'm doing it. So we put out scuba lube, and by the way, I urge everybody who even remotely has ever put on a wetsuit knows how struggle, how much of a struggle that is. Uh, and, and please, buy a tube of scuba lube and make it easy on yourself. And make it easy. It's called Ocean Safe Ocean scuba Safe scuba, scuba Lube. Okay. And, 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 and make it easy on the oceans. Well, I'm, I'm sharing the story because just last week, the governor of Hawaii banned, for the first time ever, all of the sunscreens that have been destroying coral. And, and we know really well in Hawaii because there were a couple of beaches that were, where you weren't allowed to use sunscreen, and those beaches started to recover quicker than the other ones. Oh, okay. Uh, like Hanama Bay. Uh huh. Um, but but we now know that they're the major ingredient, in, 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 and I'm not talking about small companies. I'm talking about Hawaiian Tropic. I'm talking about Johnson and Johnson. I'm talking about what you would buy at Walmart or you know. Yeah, copper tone and sunscreen. All these. Yeah. Have these chemicals that are very very toxic for mm -hmm. coral and so the state of hawaii just banned them mm -hmm. now you'll be able to buy copper tone and bring it from california if it's in your suitcase but you won't be able to buy it there in hawaii anymore mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm hoping that that message sinks in and that other destination resorts well i think i think thing. even california is looking at at putting some limits on the kinds of sunscreens or the kinds of ingredients that we can sell here yeah other states are I mean, also looking correct. at that Absolutely correct. Anyway, I think that we can close on this last note, which is we've talked about investment strategies in the past. We've talked about the fact that gold stayed constant and the market stayed constant, but the market had more ups and downs and dips and wild rides. Gold's been far less volatile, so you can mm -hmm. sleep better at night. What we didn't talk about is oil, and I just want to end on this note. So the one place where the business community thought that Trump's perfidy would really benefit them with nobody noticing was oil. The theory was, remember his first trip was to Saudi Arabia. That's true. Okay. And so his theory was, oh, if he gets buddy-buddy with the Saudis and they decide that the Americans will help him kill off the Iranians, which is what the deal is all about, then it means that he can get the Saudis to pump more oil and the price of oil will stay down where it should be at around $46 a barrel. Since the Saudis like this guy and he's doing them all kinds of other favors, no problem, the price of oil. Now, why is that important? Because everything we make uses oil. So when the price of oil goes up, it's coming directly out of our pockets. Mm -hmm. you, you pull up to a pump with a car, and what you used to pay when it was $46 a barrel versus what you pay today when it's $75 a barrel, that difference of $30 a barrel is going straight into the oil company's profits, no extra cost to them, and it's coming out of your bank account. So it's one less pizza you can buy. It's one less dinner you can buy at a restaurant. It's one less shirt you can dry clean. It's, you know, can't go to the movies this Can't month. go to the movies. Yeah. So, so it's taking, it's sucking huge amount of sucking out of mm -hmm. the economy. It's also adding to the cost of manufacturing dramatically. And the one that's my favorite is it's cost is driving up the price of airline tickets. Okay. So all this is going wrong because when business thought, okay, Trump's going to play up the Saudis and in return, he'll get low oil prices. He got high oil prices. It's the one thing that's actually gone up. Everything else is pretty much. Yeah. And that's, October, they thought, right? the he thought yeah. he'd keep that under control because his buddies, the Saudis would take care of him. Of course, why would they if you're dealing with an idiot? Treat them like an idiot, and that's what the Saudis yeah. have been doing. And so, yeah. you know, it's a tragedy that we're the laughing stock nation. If it weren't so dangerous, you know, I'd probably be chuckling right now. But it is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous, and getting more so by the minute. Wow. Okay. Well, great talking with you today, Ronaldo. Yes and, and no. <laughs> <laughs> I feel. Uh, Sorry to be uh, Debbie Downer today. I feel very educated. I, this pressure cooker. I'm curious to see how it all turns out. Yeah, um, and, and I think we should end the show by thanking our new uh, intern. Our new intern, Benjamin. Thank you so much Benjamin, for thank getting you us for, going today. And, and, and helping us research these topics and mm -hmm. coming up with fun ideas. And we're hopeful that this show will continue to attract more listeners. Please tell your friends. Yeah. We will always tie the politics to some economic story. Mm -hmm. In other words, this is not a political show per se. Everybody knows what my political views are. There's no secret. But that's not, that's not the issue. The issue is, what are the economic consequences of our politics? What are the economic consequences of our decisions? 
What are the economic consequences of us choosing to have a world that's less desirable to live in than the world we would seek to create if we really thought of it that way? Choose the world you want. Okay, so on that note, I think that's, that's great. If you have any questions, please reach out to us at info at worldbusiness.org. We'll be thrilled to answer your questions, and we'd love to hear any feedback from our listeners as well. Great. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great day.